0: So I think that uh, today's uh, guest, you know, we're really going to be learning a lot. I mean, what a, what a journey, you know, bouncing from one place to another growing up and, and now really building a company that is a rocket ship. So uh, we're going to be learning quite a bit and I don't want to make you all wait any longer. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest, Rami Karjan. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Alejandro. What an energetic introduction.
0: So born in Beirut, I mean, obviously Beirut uh, has gone through quite a, a bumpy few uh, decades, no, with all the change in politicians and also civil wars. So how was life growing up there?
1: Bumpy would be uh, such a great expression, but it is also lots of contrasts. So a great example is uh, my family grew up skiing and Lebanon before Dubai had the only skiing in the Middle East, so on, on weekends we would go skiing but in order to get to the ski resorts, we had to pass through a sniper zone. And so you had to duck at exactly the right time to avoid getting shot. And that says so much about Lebanon in terms of the contrast of Lebanon and the love that the Lebanese have for life. Wow, that's amazing.
0: And I guess, uh, obviously, those were times of uncertainty, times of fear. How would you say that that maybe has shaped you and, and your personality and perhaps your, your entrepreneurial spirit, too?
1: Well, I, I think there's something among so many Lebanese, which I share, which is a, a very optimistic outlook on life. In a way, it's, it's the only way to survive a lot of the challenges that Lebanon went through, with the civil wars and the other disasters. And, you know, I think that optimism as an entrepreneur, building a company with my partners has served uh, all of us very, very well.
0: So then let's talk about coming to the U.S. Why, why did you decide it was time to come to the U.S.? And even, even before this, you know, I guess, I guess you also bumped a little bit or you jumped from, from one place to another after the Civil War started. So I'm sure that that helped you to, to be a little bit more at ease, perhaps with, with uncertainty and with, with having to start all over again, perhaps with new friendships and, and new beginnings in new places.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, It's dealing with a lot of ambiguity and a lot of change. Uh, In fact, until 2010, my wife and I had joked that I I had never lived in the same country for longer than three years since I was born because of all of the moving around. And I think to your point, it does it does make me very resilient and uh, very adaptable to change and and also always learning Uh, the chance to learn new cultures after we left Lebanon uh, I spent some time in Saudi Arabia, I spent some time in Kuwait, uh, and I spent some time in London. Very different cultures and a wonderful learning experience.
0: So then let's say let's, uh, fast forward a little bit here and, and let's talk about coming to the U.S. I mean, why, why did you want to come here to the U.S. And, and how was that experience? Well,
1: wonderful experience and set me up for, for life. I met my, my wife when I came to the U.S. for college. Uh, and look, the reputation that that the U.S. has in terms of uh, its universities and colleges and and the training is, is really world class. And I was so attracted by that. Uh, and so that drew, drew me to the U.S. to come for college. And then I met my wife, who's American and loves to travel and loves to learn. And then we sort of continued the journey together from there.
0: So after college, you did work a little bit for Procter & Gamble, and then you got your MBA. And then instead of of really uh, doing the entrepreneurial journey right away, which is typically what people do after you do an MBA, you You decide to go into corporate and you do consulting. So you were there for quite a bit. So uh, how was that for you?
1: Well, in a way, I saw it a lot as a continuation of the MBA. I went to uh, UVA, which is 100% case method based. And I loved learning all these stories of companies and how they fought the good fight uh, or didn't. And I saw consulting as just a wonderful way to continue that and to continue learning. Uh, And I really thought that after a year or two at McKinsey, uh, McKinsey would decide it it no longer needed me. Uh, But I blinked and 13 years and about seven countries later, uh, I'd had a wonderful, wonderful experience and learned a ton.
0: So obviously they say that consultants make really good entrepreneurs. Why would you say that's the case?
1: I think one of the characteristics is uh, being very curious. And so any consultant who has been in that environment for a while, you learn to get curious. It's how you you see opportunities for your clients. Um, and I think that's a big part of it. Uh, being curious, seeing opportunities, always wondering if there's a better way to do things, always wondering if there's a, a different angle you can take on the problem that hasn't been done before. And I think those those are characteristics that also really help entrepreneurs.
0: So after 13 years, why did you decide it was time to perhaps move to more of an operational role?
1: Yeah, I really wanted to move from advisory and setting strategy as a consultant to really doing um, and a chance to really focus and dig in and and implement what I'd been advising my my customers. And so the opportunity that I had after that was uh, leading a team of 15,000 people which was just a, a wonderful way to really put into practice a lot of what I'd been advising my clients and a chance to, to do it for an extended period of time. So
0: then let's talk about meeting your two partners and traveling around the world.
1: Well, look, I'm, I'm blessed with two incredible partners. And uh, I, I didn't know what we would do together, uh, Rafael and, and Andy and I. I just knew that we would accomplish something that would change the world. And that we just had to be open to the universe guiding us what that would be. And we did many different things together. Uh, We did solar. We did energy. We went to El Salvador and Costa Rica. We helped buy a cargo airline. And all of those things sort of just set the pattern for how the three of us would work together, have fun together, make big things happen together before we we started Medically Home together.
0: And obviously starting and, and, and really building and scaling a company, there's a lot of uh, intensity uh, and I guess a lot of uncertainty, no? and a lot of action. But you were exposed to action way before that, you know, when you were with your partners traveling in El Salvador with a hotel bombing.
1: Yes, that's exactly right. So we, we were doing trips to El Salvador a couple times a month. And the hotel that we like to, uh, to stay at um, after our, our last trip, uh, the day after we left, the the restaurant of the hotel where we like to hang out at night and and strategize our our next moves uh, was hit by a grenade. Uh, you know, as El Salvador dealt, deals and dealt with its own sort of struggles uh, in many ways, like Lebanon's. So that that marked our last trip to El Salvador.
0: Because Intersection Partners, what was what was the company about?
1: The company was started by my partners Rafael and, and Andy with the idea to. Um, heal the planet and work on clean energy, uh, and also uh, heal each other and work on healthcare. And so I, I joined them uh, under that mission, uh, and it, it took us a broad range of places.
0: So why did you guys decide that it was time to transition into medically home? I mean, how was that transition like?
1: It was it was a, an incredible transition, and part of it was driven by an by just a very strong conviction that Medically Home was such a big idea and, and such a great opportunity to effect change that we didn't want to just incubate it and hand it over to a management team. We wanted to be part of that management team and do it full time. Um, and it's a fact an, an idea born out of uh, a personal disaster that my co-founder Rafael had had um, with his father and hospitalizations that his father had experienced. And it was a continuation of, of that idea and we just weren't ready to, to let go of that. Uh, and we wanted to go all in into it and build a team with us to, to do that. Uh, and that's how we ended up going full time on Medically Home. So, then
0: let's talk about the early days of Medically Home. I mean, how, how did, they, did you guys really bring it from incubation to, to, to life? Uh, and what was that like?
1: Well, the, the first thing I'll say is uh, like any entrepreneur in a startup, we had a, an enormous amount of conviction. Uh, and we bootstrapped the company and, and we didn't want to take any outside capital until uh, we had treated our first patient. And so we were laser focused on working with our first customer to get to the first patient. And the three of us uh, and the small team that we had at that time, uh, we did everything. Uh, whatever needed to be done got done by the three of us. And, and we all played, you know, uh, lots of different roles working working with the team. And that sense of satisfaction uh, when our, our small band treated our first patient, a a 96-year-old, uh, legally blind, hard-of-hearing, wonderful gentleman by the name of Chuck, when we brought the hospital to his home uh, after, you know, probably 18 months of effort to build all of the infrastructure required to do that, uh, it was such a feeling of accomplishment to be able to help him and his family.
0: So that, that's something that I wanted to talk about, which is, Really taking the company from the first patient, like to, from lunch to really the, the first patient. And I know that the story there with the first patient was really amazing. So can we, can we expand on this?
1: Sure. So, so the core idea of the company is it treats patients in their home with all of the care and the services that they would have received in the hospital. And it's a mix of uh, telemedical care with an iPad and a phone and devices and in-person care with nurses and others going into the home. But the key point is these are patients who otherwise would be in hospital. So our very first patient, Chuck, uh, that we had all worked so hard to set everything up to care for, um, when we uh, admitted Chuck into the program, Pippa, our chief medical officer who's still with us from back then, you know, sort of was explaining to, to us what the patient was like. And she was saying, look, he's, he's legally blind. He can't hear, he's very, he's very old. Um, and he's been in and out of hospital six times in the last 18 months. Uh, and we thought, boy, that's quite a patient to start in very, very sick, high acuity. And I remember a phone call that my partner, Raphael made to our customer CEO, Steve. And the reaction was from Steve was like, wow, that, that patient sounds like he's really sick. Are you sure he doesn't need to be in a hospital? And, and Raphael without missing a beat said, well, Steve, he is, he is in a hospital. He's in our, our virtual hospital. Uh, and that, that adrenaline of, of the first patient and such a fir- hard first patient uh, was really something. And it set the course for our company because now we're known as the you know high acuity, very, very sick patients, hospital and the home people.
0: So then in terms of like expanding a little bit more on the business model, how, how do you guys make money there?
1: So our, our business model actually shifted and it was one of the big learnings for us to be open to where the market could go. Uh, When we started, our business model was we would provide all the care to patients uh, and their families like Chuck. Uh, And what we learned, the need in the market was really to have somebody who could enable really high acuity, high quality, safe care um, on behalf of other health systems who would deliver it themselves. So we switched from a, a care delivery company to really a platform that enabled other health systems to deliver the care. So the, the core business model is we enable our, our customers, large health systems who want to provide safer, better care to their patients. And we essentially charge them for virtual beds. So in the same way that a, a hospital may build a new tower that might have 50 new beds in it, uh, we help our customers build uh, you know, new virtual towers on top of their existing hospitals. And then we charge them per bed.
0: That's amazing. And I assume that uh, for something like this, you know, it's uh, money is required. So how much capital have you guys raised?
1: So we've raised uh, to date almost $80 million. And what's really important about that is um, we worked really hard for it to be almost entirely strategic capital. Uh, Either capital that came in with partners of ours who we work with to build the virtual hospital. Um, or partners who are part of supplying the care to our customers as part of the virtual hospital, or our customers themselves who are investors in the company, um, and that's really shaped the the culture and the outlook of the company. Having all of that strategic capital that really, frankly, puts the the patient, their safety, their clinical outcome um, at the heart of everything we do.
0: So, how would you define a strategic capital? Because I'm sure that there's a lot of people that are listening, thinking, "Hey, what well, well, what's what's the difference between You know, just getting some money in or getting a strategic money in. What is a strategic capital to you guys?
1: Yeah, my simple definition of strategic capital versus financial capital would really be around capital that wants to support us in building the business and also wants to be part of that either as a customer, as a partner, as an enabler, and somehow involved in the operations of the business. Uh, as opposed to more f- financial capital that is looking to add value to the business through advisory services and the capital itself.
0: Got it. So is there like a, like a process that you guys follow to really qualify that? Is maybe like the network or previous experience or things like that?
1: Well, a little bit of all of the above, and, and we're blessed with a, the great network and, and a focus on people and, and people who we can be great partners to. And so, you know, ultimately that's that's been our big focus, whether it's customers, um, you know, partners that we work with or capital is just people who think the same way we do, hold the same values that we do, want to change the world in the same way that we want to change the world and and sort of like attracts like from that standpoint.
0: So 2020 has been um, a, difficulty, a difficult year for absolutely everyone. Uh, and... Obviously, you know, going through this COVID thing has been pretty crazy, uh, to say the, the, the least. But, but I guess that for for a company like Medically Home, you know, definitely it has accelerated. You know, maybe the vision or where you thought that you were going to see yourselves. You know, I'm sure that it has advanced by a mile.
1: Things is that right? Uh, Alejandro, that's absolutely right. I mean, it is it is accelerated by years what we saw our trajectory. The biggest part of that is Americans and the world no longer look at traditional hospitals the way they did before COVID. Um, And and that's really changed the importance and how people view hospital in the home and the ability to have the hospital come to your home where you feel safe, where you feel secure. Um, And that that change in outlook and mindset um, has been huge in terms of catalyzing the business, both from customers who want, to, who want to extend their traditional hospitals by having a hospital-in-the-home capability, uh, but also patients and their families that now know that they have an alternative to going to an institutional setting uh, and rather have the hospital come to them, which particularly given COVID, what we've seen, as you could imagine, is people are very, very reluctant to go to the hospital now.
0: And, and you know, one of the things that comes to mind here is that as an entrepreneur, uh, myself and also you here, Rami, we know that timing is, is everything. No? And, and I find that being able to do your right analysis and be able as well to capitalize on the momentum is critical. So in this case, you know, you guys started the company in 2016. All of a sudden, COVID starting to happen. So I guess, how, how do you guys approach this, maybe like at a strategic level, in order to really ride the wave, and then also in order to put your company to go at the same speed in parallel with the momentum?
1: Well, the first thing I'd say is uh, my partners, Raphael and Andy, really started working on this back in 2010. Uh, and so uh, we, we joke when people say, well, your, your timing was right, uh, our, our, our timing was right after 11 years. Um, I really think it's about being open to what the market, to what your customers, to what the world is telling you. Um, it's very easy with hindsight to talk about strategic decisions that we made. I think so much of our success and our success, you know, during COVID and using that as a catalyst was about being open and willing to change and about having great people around us um who created those opportunities and helped us execute on those opportunities. I, I don't think it it's it's the result of a well laid strategy. And in fact, if I if I told you what our strategy was five years ago as compared to what's happening now, it looks completely different. And that's okay.
0: Yeah. So so in this case for you guys, you know, what's a what, what what do you think we're heading you know from from the medical care and and things of this nature i mean especially now that we're going to hopefully get to that new reality or new normal you know soon
1: well look let's let's hope let's hope things start to change soon uh it's desperately needed and it it feels like such a long road i think for everybody i don't have a crystal ball i i, I don't know what that is going to look like i i do think that people's viewpoints of healthcare uh, and of work, of course, but but to focus on healthcare, will never be the same. There is no going back. Um, we view telehealth now and the ability to get a doctor on demand when I need it um, as, as things that we don't want taken away as consumers and as patients. Um, and I think the same thing holds true for our businesses, is, is people won't view hospital at home the same way ever again. Um, the other thing that I think it's done, um, which has been very, very positive, that frankly has really elevated the role that clinicians doctors, nurses, those who work with doctors and nurses you know play in our society and and how important that is um you know not only during the good times but especially during the bad times and I think that's been very, very important to recognize kind of the clinicians who have who've helped the world heal
0: absolutely I mean now they're in the covers of newspapers and magazines, which is amazing, and you know one of the things that I wanted to ask you here is. When you're building and scaling, distribution is everything, and I'm sure that for you guys, landing Mayo Clinic, you know, was a, quite an accomplishment.
1: We're so look, we're so proud of having uh, Mayo Clinic as a customer and a and a partner. Um, they're great people. We're blessed. And again, I wish I could tell you that that was the result of a, a well thought out strategy. Um, you know, we we almost all of our business development, quite unusually, has been. In fact, all of it is a result of inbound calls from people who were attracted to us, to our mission, to our capabilities, to what we wanted to do. Um, and we found kindred spirits in, in the team at the Mayo Clinic. Uh, and, and the funny story with that is that um, we got a call from uh, uh, the team at, at the Mayo Clinic. Uh, basically, they had one conversation with my partner, Rafael, and then they called back and said, we, we urgently need to come to Boston, which is where our, our command center is in our company. Uh, we urgently need to come to Boston next week and meet with you. Uh, and so we thought, wow, this is pretty incredible. We don't, we don't usually get calls uh, from people saying they urgently need to meet with us and come to Boston. And to have that come from uh, Mayo Clinic is such an incredible honor. Uh, but it wasn't the result of strategy. It was the result of uh, being, being who we are and attracting people who resonated uh, with that. And, and now we're making history together.
0: Well, I mean, that's fantastic. And definitely one of the stories that you're going to share with your grandchildren one day is working with the White House. So how is it like to work with the, with the White House when you're a startup?
1: So I will say it's it's pretty incredible when, when COVID uh, hit and, you know, the nation's uh, capacity of hospital beds just got into a severe crunch. And we kind of know the story of how that played out with ICUs. You know, we had an opportunity to work with the to work with the White House and to work with CMS on coming up with some creative um, some creative solutions that involve some of some of the solutions that we offered in terms of uh, creating capacity for hospital beds in the home. and And I remember you know, we were working one particular you know intense week period uh, with a couple of our of our partners. To, to send a, a letter into the White House and to have conversations with the White House about how we could play a small part in solving this crisis. Uh, and it was 24-7 work and very, very intense and, you know, lots of people involved and lots of creativity and, and you know, our company was at the, at the center of that. And just to be able to witness how a startup, uh, you know, with the right uh, partners could could play on a national stage and could be working with the White House to come up with national solutions. Um, you know, we we together sent this letter into the White House that says, look, this is what we need to be able to create new virtual beds for the country. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, you know, here you go, have at it. And and that's just amazing to see the pace, how quickly the impact that can have uh, as a startup on a national level. feels like you never see that. That felt like a once in a lifetime. That's amazing.
0: So... So in this case, imagine you go to sleep tonight, Rami, and you wake up in a world where the vision of Medically Home is fully realized. Let, what, what does that world look like?
1: <laughs> well, I, I have a big smile on my face because, you know, I think the first thing about, about that is, is I'm probably not waking up in the United States. You know, I, I really believe that this, this model of care that our company has bought, that so many people have worked on, um, needs to go out into the world. And so if I think about five years from now, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm waking up in, in Europe, I'm waking up in Australia, I'm waking up in Asia, I'm waking up in China, I'm waking up in Africa, I'm waking up in South America. Uh, and our model is starting to get a hold there. You know, people all over the world deserve this. There's no reason why this needs to be a, a U.S. only effort. And uh, our, our shareholders, our partners, the people on our team are all very, very energized about taking this, you know, to people all over the world. And so that, that's what I would hope in five years if I woke up. It's, it's not what I'm doing. It's, it's where we're waking up and where we're touching lives.
0: Absolutely. I love that.
1: So let's say that I'm taking you now
0: on a time machine and we're going back in time. And you have the opportunity to have a chat with your younger self, with that younger Rami that is thinking about maybe launching something. What would be that one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self and why before launching a business, knowing what you know now?
1: Oh, how fun. Uh, look, I, I think the biggest thing I would tell my younger self very simply is it's all about the people. It's all about the people. Finding people that uh, share, share your values, your dreams, your hopes, your aspirations, your fears, um, it's all about the people. So I, I would tell my younger self don't, don't focus on what you're going to do, don't focus on where, don't focus on how. Focus on who you're going to do it with. And if you find the right who, um, then everything will take care of itself, and I, I've been blessed with incredible partners and, and incredible who's around me um, to do this together with. And, and so that's that's what I, I hope my younger self would would really take in.
0: I really love that because obviously those uh, those people that you bring in are are really gonna make it or break it. I'm sure that there's some people now that are listening and that maybe they're thinking about either partnering up with someone or perhaps hiring someone that could be a big hire for the business? Is there anything, you know, like maybe like a tip that you could give them on based on your experience on what you've learned around people?
1: I, I love to make sure that there's an emotional connection. If I'm going to do something with somebody, either as a partner, either, either as a big hire, um, there has to be an emotional connection. You know, the work of a startup is too hard for there not to be an emotional connection with the people that you, you do it with.
0: I really love that. I mean, and what does an emotional connection at its best look like?
1: How to describe it. The, imagine the rhythm of your heart's beating to the same, same time. Uh, and what it feels like when you're really in sync, when the the hopes and dreams and aspirations you have are aligned, when you really connect with somebody, not, not at an intellectual level, um, but, but as two souls coming together um, and really feeling connected, and you really care about them, and they really care about you, and you worry more about their success uh, than you worry about your own. That's what an emotional connection looks like.
0: Very powerful, Rami. So for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi?
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, we, we love to connect with people. If you go to our website, medicallyhome.com, uh, there's information there about how to reach us. We love to give post-COVID, we love to give people tours of Boston and for them to meet our team. Um, and so anybody who's interested, we'd, we'd love to get in touch with you.
0: Amazing. Well, Rami, thank you so much for being on The Dealmaker Show.
1: Alejandro, this is such an opportunity. I'm so privileged. Thank you.
0: If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business